Hello! Welcome to the Mind Buffs Podcast. I am your host, Matt Demwasak, sport and performance psychologist. Today, we are going to be talking about a theory called power differentials. And we're actually going to have a several-part series looking into this from positions of being an athlete, of being an employer, maybe even just being a son or daughter in a family, looking at any situation where someone has more authority than we do in a situation, and just breaking down all of the different intricacies and experiences that happen in those kinds of environments. And today we're going to kick off by starting that conversation with our co-host, Lindsay, and I will let her introduce herself. Hi, I'm Lindsay Piper. I am a Canadian certified counselor at MindBus with the goal of becoming a registered psychologist sooner rather than later, hopefully. (laughs) And yeah, I'm really excited to be here and talk about this. Finally, I'm also really nervous, but it'll be good. (laughs) No, I'm really looking forward to having you share your story today. I know that it's something in the past year um, with the team here that we have been able to listen to your story and and we're all really excited that um, you want to share parts of that story. And um, we're not going to be able to get to all of it today. Um, We'll just see where we get going. There's a lot of different um, experiences that a lot of other athletes, a lot of other employers, just I think a lot of people are really going to relate to um, some of what you're going to be sharing. So um, without further ado, let's get going and just kind of introduce uh, yourself in terms of your athletic experience and background and then lead us right into your experience as a college athlete. Perfect. Yeah, so I was more of a multi-sport athlete growing up. Um, I really was into soccer for most of my life, and then I did all the school sports and then played handball, and then I always really loved basketball. So then in high school, I started to take basketball a lot more seriously. And then in grade 12, I had a college coach approach me, and I was like, oh, dang, I'm like (laughs) actually pretty good, so I could play college basketball. So that's how that started. And then, so I joined, it was, ended up being a different coach from who brought me on though. She ended up quitting like weeks before preseason started. So then the other coach stepped in. Yeah. Okay. Which I remember being sad because I had never had a female coach for like a extended period of time. Yeah. But I was also used to having male coaches. So I was like, whatever, Hmm. let's roll with it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So in your first year there, tell me a little bit about what your experience was like. What was the culture like? And yeah, just tell me the vibe. Yeah, it was like a, a rude awakening almost a little bit because you go from being like the best player on your high school team <laughs> to being a rookie and never playing. But also at the same time, the girls were great and it was so fun being in university and, you know, getting to experience being a college athlete. So that was fun when I did get to play. It was sweet and it was exciting. I was nervous, but it is what it is. And then second year, same kind of thing. I was still like stepping into my role on the team. And then unfortunately, another girl on the team busted her ankle And Mm. she was the same position as me. So that kind of opened a door for me. So I got to start games and I was like playing a lot more and my confidence just skyrocketed from getting minutes and everything. And then moving into third year, same thing. I was like riding a high still. I was starting games. I was playing a lot. Um, I went through like a lot of stress that year. Like my parents moved away. Um, and I'm not blaming them for any of this. <laughs> I was just a big life change. Cause I, you know, I most, I always joke that most people's parents are like, my kids are leaving the nest or they're moving out, yeah. but my parents left the nest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that was like, I had to navigate that in my third year, but 
I had such a good team and I loved the girls and all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, third year was pretty good still. And then that's when everything started to change after Mm. that. So even in your first two years, it felt like a comfortable place. You liked your teammates, the culture seemed like it was good. So when did you first start to notice that, okay, what's happening here? Um, about my position on the team or about this coach? About how the energy in the room shifted for some reason. Right. <laughs> um, so the energy in the room, the team was always really close knit, which helped. Mm. Um, coach was always difficult, um, but that was just something that we had come to accept. Okay. And so okay. certain responses and reactions were, <laughs> I don't want to say normalized, but they were. Mm. Um, so that was always kind of present. And then I think as I like got older and like got into my like older years, like mm-hmm. third year and such, there was just more expectation put on me. Mm. Um, and then the fourth year is when, yeah, I really noticed that shift. So I was coming off third year, like riding high. Um, and I know I had a couple ups and downs and then preseason for fourth year, I was like so ready to just turn things around and have like such a good season. So I like worked out so hard. I was like running all the time. I uh, was like lifting all the time. I would Mm. go to the gym and like shoot hoops. Like every morning before work, I was so dedicated, working so hard. Um, We had a new assistant coach coming in and he met with a couple of us every morning too. So I was like, this is sweet. Like this coach actually cares about like helping us work on our shooting. Yeah. So we worked together a lot in preseason. Um, And then, yeah, we had a couple of new recruits come in. There was like five or six of us that were really close for the start of the season. We'd hang out all the time because, you know, they had like the house nice and close to the university that we'd always go to and hang out and stuff. So it was normal and really fun. Like so happy to be there. Obviously my fourth year, I was like feeling really good about myself. (laughs) Like the year before, I guess I should mention that like, um, my confidence was really boosted because of the minutes I was getting, I think, and the feedback I was getting and like player of the game and other people noticing and like scholarship amount. I know money's not a huge thing, but to me, I did think that that was an indication of like my role on the team, like being one of the highest paid on the team. We know this in in pro sports, right? As soon as you get the big contract, all of a sudden everyone expects you to perform every single night. And as soon as you don't, it's like, how much are they paying them? Like, are they worth that much? Yeah. So yeah, it definitely is a factor. Which I laugh because like, it's not like it was a full scholarship and it was like a small (laughs) college, but like still when you get- In the pecking order of financial value. Yes, exactly. So I kind of took that as like a sign of like, oh, like I'm actually pretty good and pretty valued on this team if I'm like up there. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that all like just led into this fuel of like being so ready for fourth year. I was Mm. like, okay, I'm like one of the most veterans on the team. Like this is going to be a good season type thing. Yeah. So yeah, the start of the season was normal. Everything was good. Um, And then all of a sudden the season started and I- did not start games and I was barely playing. And all of a sudden I was like, what is going on? Like I oh, started wow. every game the year before and played a lot. Yeah. And yeah, it was just, that's when it started. I was like, what is happening? Well, who, who like which coach communicated to you, like what the plan was or like why, why your minutes were, were down. None. None. Yeah. 
So I think that was the hardest thing is I just didn't know what was happening. And I was like, oh, I've put in all this work yeah, and I'm not getting any results. And I don't want this to sound like I'm upset that I wasn't getting minutes. But at the end of the day, you're an athlete. Like, of yeah. course you want to play. Yeah, you want to play. Yeah. So that's when it started. And it was like pretty early on. Yeah. And how long was it until either a coach talked to you or maybe you talked to a coach about what the hell was going on? Yeah. I think that I was the one to approach coaches. Okay. And I always went directly to head coach because like this is our fourth year together. Like I felt like we had that relationship. Yeah. Like I hear, I know different people have different relationships with coaches. I feel like we had a good relationship. Like we could like banter, but also trust each other. Yeah. It felt like, so I would go to him and I was always told that like I was doing everything right. And that's what was confusing to me. So even though he told you you were doing everything right, how are you internalizing that experience of sitting on the bench wondering why I'm there? Oh, there's like, like the emotions still come up now. Like I was like, obviously so confused because I'm like, well, if I'm doing everything right, why, how did I go from starting and playing most of games Mm -hmm. to like barely anything, Mm -hmm. like barely anything. Like I mean, one, two minutes a quarter. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So very quickly, very quickly stripped me of my confidence. So it started with confusion, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Fourth year, you've been training your ass off, feeling really good. Did confusion lead to somewhere else after again, not getting the minutes that you thought you, you deserved? Yeah. So like, in addition to being confused about myself, like, of course I was like doubting my skills. Right. I'm like, oh, like maybe I'm not that good. Like maybe I'm not as good as these new recruits he's brought in. Like they were good. Like I'll never take that away from them. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I just wasn't getting those answers. So in addition to like confusion, I was also sad, of course. Yeah. I was like upset, angry. I was like resentful, not necessarily towards the other girls, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe jealous of like their playing time, but also I didn't really, I don't remember ever like pinning it on them or anything like that. It was more of like, what am I doing that's so wrong Mm. that, Mm. yeah, I'm not playing at all. Mm. And definitely like shame. Like every time people were at games watching, I was like so... I felt so much shame, so mm-hmm. much embarrassment for like being on the bench. Yeah. Like, and I just remember like that pit in my stomach feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you did get your one or two minutes a quarter, what was your headspace like when you were on the court? <laughs> <laughs> um, ask any athlete how easy it is to go on a court for one minute when you are cold because you've been sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't play well. No. Especially when this has been going on for months yeah, and in your head the whole time you're like battling like your self-doubt of if you're like Mm -hmm. worthy of being on the team or playing and then you get randomly like the pity shift of like one minute yeah and you're like cold pity shift yeah i love that um this reminds me of i think a situation that a lot of our listeners might be familiar with um on a on a professional sport level as well for years the Edmonton Oilers they would ride Connor McDavid and Darnell Nurse and Dry Saddle heavy heavy minutes sometimes half the game they're on the ice 
And then you'd put the third liner and the fourth liner. You just kind of rotate those guys in a couple minutes every period. And year after year after year, there were these complaints of like, man, like we don't have any supporting cast. Like no one in the bottom six in the lineup can actually produce. Like everything is just on the shoulders of like the, the superstars. When you think back of, of what Lindsay just shared though, when your ass is on the bench time and time again, period after period, game after game, you're inevitably going to end up in a situation where you're like, am I just shitty? Like, do I suck that bad? Like, does no one trust me? Like, am I just a liability when I get out there? And so when you get your random shift, when you get your random minute, how the hell are you supposed to perform? Especially at a college and pro level, communication is unfortunately, it's typically quite low. And if you're not getting the minutes, how could anyone expect that in that random moment where you finally get to go out when you don't even know when you're going to get to go out that you just are able to go into flow state, that you can just tap into being in the zone right away? That is an impossible ask. So difficult. And so that was a situation that you were pretty much in for a lot or most of your fourth year. Yeah, most of the fourth year. How the hell did you cope with that? Like what, what did you do to try to deal with the situation? I don't really think I coped super well. Um, like actually this is like what solidified my desire to be a sports psychologist was this experience. Hmm. Like I knew I had wanted to work with athletes and their mental health, but Hmm. this is the moment that solidified it because I was like, this sucks and I don't know what to do. Hmm. Um, yeah. I don't think I really coped. Like I am starting to realize more now, like it has taken me this long to actually start addressing it and like figuring out that like I was in fight or flight, like all of the time when I was at basketball and I was like constantly like fighting back tears. Cause I don't want to be that girl that looks like she's crying because she's not getting playing time. And that's why I'm like always nervous to talk about it too, because I don't want people to think of me like, oh, wow, you had a hard coach. You didn't play. But it's like, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. So, Mm. yeah. Do you feel comfortable sharing some of those other parts? Because I think we we hear that a lot. Like, oh, you know, tough shit. Like, that's just what it's like when you're playing at the highest level. Like, coaches are hard. Mm -hmm. But what was actually hard? Like, what was going on? Um, So, at first, it like started about being like, okay, how, how can I get more playing time? Cause obviously like, and I'll fully admit, like my performance definitely went down. Yeah. Like maybe if you did watch me for my one, two minutes on the court, <laughs> yeah, I probably did play like shit. Yeah. Sorry, dad. <laughs> <laughs> but. I have a bad influence. <laughs> but because it is, it's so hard when you're like, you're so fearful of going out there and making a mistake when you already think that like, you're not playing because you're not good. Yeah. So, and I, I like remember this, like every time, like people would take photos at our games mm-hmm. and every time there's a photo of me, my mom would be like, you look terrified in every picture, like e- whether I'm Jeez. going for like a layup or something like that. And I was like, yeah, I was, because I knew that if I made one mistake, I was off the court and like whoever else was on would get three, four chances. And I remember having a conversation of like, if, if you have such these of these high expectations for me because I'm like veteran, mm-hmm. 
why do I only have one chance on the court when these rookies have four chances? Like, wouldn't you trust me to make up for a mistake? And that wasn't like balancing out. Like it was like, oh, Lindsay turned the ball over once, okay, she's off. And again, was it silence? Like no communication if when you made that mistake or was there a sharp criticism when you got back? Honestly, and maybe this is part of like, I don't remember everything mm. fully. Yeah. Uh, my therapist recently said that I might've dissociated a lot, which yeah. I don't, I don't know because I never thought that I was a person that dissociated. Yeah. But like, when I think of things, like I cannot tell you who was on the men's team in my fourth year. And when I realized that I was like, whoa, like, I was like, I can name who was on the team in my first, second, third year. Yeah. Why can't I remember the people that were on the team in yeah. the fourth year? Yeah. It sounds like you were trapped in Lindsay land, but like in the haunted forest, just like yeah. shitty place to be mentally. Yeah, not Harry Potter's forest, <laughs> no. not a, a scary forest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't really remember. There was a lot of like negativity from the coach all the time. So I don't mm. remember. I don't think the energy was given to reprimand me in my fourth year. Hmm. But I remember vividly times being like screamed at in my second and third year and like tables oh. being kicked towards us and clipboards being broken. Oh, that just sounds really motivating. That didn't just make you guys feel really confident to go back out and be like, okay, yeah, we can do better. Yeah. That's so weird that like he thought that that would get <laughs> us to play well. I had a coach um, in my U15 uh, AAA year in hockey where, um, he had multiple clipboards in his vehicle because almost every game he would snap one over his knee. He had multiple fines from destroying garbage cans and equipment in the locker room. And it was just like, we were always just waited for when that moment was going to happen. Yeah. It was not fun. Yeah. It was not motivating. It did not make us feel like we could go out there and be better versions of ourselves. It was it was unfun. It tears you down. And like, I think that could be an entire other podcast of like times <laughs> that I was never scared that he was going to like physically hurt us, no. but like, it's still scary. I remember like, I have never cried as hard as I have the, at a halftime yeah. at a, of a game Yeah, and like being specifically targeted. Yeah. But maybe that's his way of like showing that you are a valuable player on that team because it was only the people who are playing a lot. Yeah. who would get reprimanded like that. Yeah. So in my fourth year, I don't think that I received it in that way. I think I received silence. Mm. And I received asking what I'm doing wrong, what I could do instead, what they're looking for, and always being told that I'm doing everything right. That mm. the uh, I was too short to match the other girl. Yeah. Or that, yeah, just like mm. the matchup was like constantly a reason. This this might seem a bit dramatic or intense as I uh, as I share this <laughs> bit of research, but um, when looking at schizophrenia, I know it's quite a jump, but just <laughs> just follow me for the journey here. When looking at schizophrenia, if other than the genetic. Um, predispositions towards developing that kind of disorder. When we look at environmental reasons for why or how people develop schizophrenia over time, it's because of something um, that's called uh, double bind communication. And there's definitely 10% of me that's a little scared right now that it's double blind and not double bind, but just, just roll with me for a little bit here. So double bind communication is when your words say one thing and your actions say something completely different. 
And what we see is people who grow up in families like this, where there's communication verbal, that's one way, and every other nonverbal is communicating something different. It creates this feeling of being crazy, of shifting, I'm thinking this and then that, or like, I'm happy and I'm sad. Like, wait, is, uh, is it okay to do this? I can't tell because I saw this weird thing in the eyebrow and the body language and the tone was weird. Constantly being in an environment like that, your mind has to biologically engineered to stay in a state of vigilance. When we can see that there's a disconnection between what is being said and every other nonverbal is not in agreement with what the words are, we have to be vigilant because our nervous systems can actually tell something's not okay, something's shifty. Some of you might experience that as anxiety in your gut, like I, something sus here. I don't feel safe. Some of you guys might feel that sense of dissociation or numbness or busyness in your mind of like, okay, I got to figure this out. Like, what, what do I do? Like, I feel helpless. Like what, what's going on? What's, what's happening as an athlete? This shit happens all of the time. And I'm not saying that every athlete develops schizophrenia, but (laughs) the concept that that's not a small thing, that disconnection between what's being said and what everyone is reading from that person creates a state of fight or flight for everyone else around. And yet, as athletes, we're told to just deal with it. Suck it up. This is just how it is. Some of you guys might be familiar with the concept of culture of silence. Unfortunately, we've heard a lot about this theory in Canada and hockey and a lot of the Um, allegations that have been coming through about coaches and players and their um, physical or sexual misconduct in those spaces. And I guess when you think of the culture of silence for you, Lindsay, are there any specific moments that maybe come up for you in your career that kind of speak to that experience? Oh yeah. (laughs) Buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This also ties to like your question earlier about like how I coped Mm. and I, this was the first time I ever went to see a therapist and they were not a sports psych. And they, I told them about what was going on and they pulled out the wheel of abuse Oh, and they went through every part of the wheel with me. Yeah. And what I was experiencing checked every part except for physical because there was no physical stuff, thank God. Um, And that is where the silence started. Because when I heard that, I had never heard of this wheel before. I had never considered me a victim of that. Uh, But that's where the silence started. For me, like, and personally, I was like, oh my God, like, that's crazy. But also, like, abuse is a really scary word. Like, I'm not telling anybody that. I think I told my parents, Mm -hmm. but I did not tell. Obviously, I didn't tell teammates. They didn't even at this point know that I was struggling. Mm. I hadn't told teammates. Okay. So I think that, and I still don't really, like, I only tell people who I, like, definitely trust and know how they'll respond. Because as soon as you say abuse, like, your mind goes to physical abuse or sexual abuse or whatever. And he did not do any of that. Like, I never want people to think that it was like that. No. Um, But I think people overlook the, like, power and control portion of it. The mental and emotional like abuse that's, that happens in those kinds of relationships. Um, yeah, I think just, just to echo what Lindsay is saying again, um, 
when people hear the word abuse, I think they typically think of, oh, it's, it's the big T abuse. It's the, it's the physical, it's the sexual. But when we look at what happens to uh, nervous systems, to our digestive system, to neuropathways in our brain, when we're in environments where there is emotional and mental um, abuse, the breakdown of the body, the breakdown of our perception of self and our confidence, it's can be identical sometimes. And we often, <clears throat> excuse me, and we often see this echoed in a lot of our clients where, you know, they talk about how like their experiences with coaches or the experience with their, their parents were like, oh, you know, it was, it was fine. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I, I grew up with lots of people or, or had friends who had different coaches where there was actually physical like abuse and it was really bad. So like, you know, my experience wasn't, wasn't that bad. That's called minimizing. That's called invalidating. And that does no one any good just because it's not that big, obvious front page news headline abuse doesn't mean that what's happening is okay. And yet, unfortunately, in sport, it's been a very acceptable behavior for coaches to intentionally use mental and emotional trickery to use that cycle of abuse because they think that somehow that's going to enhance the performance of the team. And for those of you that are familiar with this wheel of abuse, we typically hear the word domestic wheel of abuse used before, but this is just the pattern of people who use power and control to be able to get the results that they want. And unfortunately, a lot of coaches fall directly smack dab in the middle of, of this theory. I'm curious, especially because you would have had some of these teammates for years how come you didn't like open up to any of your teammates? Uh, again, the silence part or like being an athlete, you just like don't, I didn't tell a single person on my team that I was seeing a psychologist because I didn't want them to think that I was just being a crybaby about not getting minutes. It ultimately always came down to that. I always thought that people would think that what was going on with me was only about the minutes. So yeah, I didn't. I didn't tell anyone. Um, somebody asked me if I had like trauma bonded with teammates. Yeah. And I was like, that is a really good question. I had to think about it. Yeah. And I can think of one girl who we actually didn't really get along our first couple of years because we we're the same position. <laughs> oh, so we were yeah. always like, you know, competing. Totally. <laughs> um, but in my last year, we got really close. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, is that why? Because the same thing was kind of happening to her a bit. Yeah. But I've never, yeah, like talked to her about it. So hmm. I don't know. But hmm. it is really interesting. Like I, I, I definitely, and this is really sad too. Like at the start of the episode, I talked about how I was really close with like five girls. Yeah. I withdrew from them hmm. almost completely um, to the extent that like we are not friends, mm -hmm. which I, ashamed feels like a big word, but a little bit because I'm not the type of person to like, withdraw from people or like stop yeah. being friends with them. Oh. But I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. I almost felt like it was like them and the coach versus me, which oh. I know is not the case. But at the time it's how it felt. It's how it felt. Yeah. I get that. In my last year of minor hockey, played uh, major AAA, which is U eighteen AAA now. And I had left the club I had played with for four years um, because it was 
it was a really shitty place for me. It was similar to you. I, I didn't ever get the minutes of the recognition that I felt like um, I had earned. Um, I felt like my numbers showed that I should have been playing in uh, more important minutes and playing in on better teams. And so I'd left to play with a different club. And after my very first practice, they signed me to um, the roster and, and looked at me and, and thought that I would be able to play top six minutes. And so in the first few weeks of the season, I, I got that opportunity and I felt like, oh my God, finally, like this, I've been waiting this for like five years. Someone finally sees me. Someone finally, finally gets it. And as it happens all the time in, in high level sports, we had, you know, someone get cut from the level above in junior. And I think maybe because I was the new guy or whatever the coach was thinking, that spot was taken by this this player who was who had just gotten cut and i went from getting almost two points a game in the first four games and being in the top of the league to i think getting four points in the next like 12 13 14 games at that point like my soul was just completely destroyed having hope getting ready for the season thinking this is it really similar to your kind of experience and at around January, kind of like two months left before playoffs, the coach finally sat me down and was like, like, what's going on? You're not producing. Like that was like three, four months, like after he had moved me from top minutes to fourth line. And I totally lost my shit on coach. (laughs) (laughs) He was a great coach. So many of the other coaches I had were abusive, verbally, emotionally abusive. And, and, and this guy wasn't at all, but Again, that lack of communication it made me go crazy. And when he finally tried to have a conversation, I mean, it was it was just too late at that point. Like the the damage, the mistrust, all that was that was done in. And similar to you, I didn't talk to a damn person. I went super quiet. No one knew what was going on, and it took me a couple of years before I saw my first therapist, where I was finally able to work through some of that, but it's just what you do in sports. You just take it, you shut your mouth and hope that your opportunity comes. But that is not what we train our young athletes or even just any of our business clients or first responder clients or our performance clients. If something's not okay, we try to teach them to take that first step in trying to have that difficult conversation. Now, in a situation like Lindsay, probably wouldn't have mattered from what I'm hearing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But in a lot of other situations, we create this image in our mind that like something bad's going to happen or they're going to yell at me or um, I'm going to make the situation even worse by bringing it up. But if we don't know that to be the case, we need to be able to kind of build up that courage to have that conversation. But I know for you, you had years and years worth of warning signs to know that there is nothing that can happen of this. So I'm curious, as the season went along, is this just kind of how your career ended? Or was there a change that happened over the course of the season? Uh, No, it just continued the same way the whole season. So. After that first psychologist, I was like, okay, that was good information. She's not a sports psych though. So I went and I saw a sports psych and we started off with like 
because I realized that I had no confidence and that was impacting my performance. And I was like, I need that confidence back. Yeah. Um, like I didn't have faith in myself that I was a good basketball player at this point. Um, so that was what we were working on. And then a couple months went by and uh, her and I both started to realize that regardless of what I do and yeah. regardless of how hard I practice, I'm not going to play. I keep getting told that you're doing great. You're doing everything right. Mm, matchups are wrong. Uh, so then my goal with the sports, like then switch to how do I survive the rest of the season? And even like saying that out loud now, like how bad is that? That yeah. I had to like f- survive the season. That's not what sports are about, no. but that is literally how I felt. So I had a new role on the team and I was just that teammate that like always was cheering on the bench. I was like so encouraging to my teammates on the outside. I was a good teammate. Yeah. I think in that regard on the inside, every single game, every single practice, I was pushing down tears every day. Like even now I can feel it in my stomach. I would call my mom, bless her soul (laughs) every single day after basketball and just break down. Cause I was like, this is so hard. And so it was exhausting. Like another realization I've had like in the last few months is that I was in fight or flight like the whole time. Um, and like probably leads to like why I don't really remember who was on the men's team and all that stuff. But, um, I, also vividly remember one practice the coach like pulled everybody aside and he was like I care about your guys's mental health so much like if something's going on and he was talking about one of our top five girls uh and I remember in my head being like f you you don't know what I've been struggling with the entire season and I remember feeling so angry in that moment did I say anything no I'm not gonna be that person so near the to the end of the season, sorry. Yeah. They were talking about um these two girls senior nights. And I at that point had already decided like I want to play, but I cannot do this. Uh-huh. I cannot do this another year. So uh-huh. I went up to him after practice and I remember this interaction like so clearly. I said, "I am not having this conversation right now. I am not playing next year, and the only reason I'm telling you this right now is because I want my senior night." And all he said back was, I understand. Wow. And I left. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then for the, our final game, I remember like my parents weren't, they don't live here. They weren't going to come, which was upsetting, but also like, you're going to fly here to watch me sit on the bench. Like I kind of get it. Um, But I had old teachers and old coaches and like some of my best friends were like, we're coming to your last game. Like, And I was like so embarrassed because I was like, they are going to come and watch me sit on the bench in my final game as a college athlete. Mm. So I really like swallowed my pride and I went up to my coach and I said, look, like I'm not begging for minutes, but like all, all of these people, like my parents ended up saying they were coming. And I was like, all these people are coming here. These people are flying here. I'm not begging for minutes, but like basically give me a chance type thing. Yeah. I started, I played, I got player of the game. And I remember, like, obviously I was happy that I got to play, but I remember also being mad because I was like, look what happens when you, like, give me a chance. Yeah. And now it's too late. Yeah. And then Uh. that was the, we went to playoffs, actually. Okay. Um, 
same thing though. Didn't yeah. play. Yeah. Played the last minute of the last game. I like remember again, I like hit a shot to like literally buzzer beater shot. We still lost, but like, I was yeah. like, yeah, that's a good way yeah. to end my like basketball <laughs> career. But I still remember being like, cool. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was that. And then it took me like a solid three years to start playing women's league again after that. Yeah. Yeah. It took me about three years yeah. <laughs> after, uh, the end of my career to put the this case back on too. So yeah, I know that feeling. I think for those of you listening that maybe feel that there's some familiarity with the story or that you really resonate with um, what Lindsay was able to share. And thank you so much for yeah. sharing your story today that there are a lot of people that we see in their thirties and forties and fifties that played sports growing up and had similar experiences like this and never really talked about it, didn't have a good opportunity to really process through it. And and this is kind of the unfortunate thing about the brain is that our brains don't have a sport brain, a family brain, a work brain. It's all the same brain. And if we have these experiences that we don't do anything about it, if we don't talk to people about it, if we don't see a therapist or tell our best friend that this is what it feels like every day, we bring these feelings into our daily life. And then we go into our workplaces, we go into our relationships. And even if our brain senses just 5% familiarity in what's happening, it will bring up the feelings from our years as athletes and assume that the same thing is happening. And then you go into fight or flight and you start making assumptions and you start thinking and feeling all these horrible things about yourself. So it's not just, oh, poor you, you didn't get your minutes. Oftentimes the experience of being that athlete and being on the bench and not having anyone communicate to you, it can follow us into the rest of our lives. So there is a lot that happens in sport that is amazing and can really give us the tools and the strengths and the mindset to be able to have success in in life. But also, man, it can do some damage if we have unhealthy leaders and if we choose to stay silent and not to open up. And so if you're like, holy shit, this is totally what it was like for me. Go talk to someone. (laughs) Yeah, please do. (laughs) You don't need to hold on to this baggage anymore. And it's affecting more of your life than perhaps you realize until today. So again, Lindsay, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm really excited to um, have further conversations looking at different theories different experiences that other people can relate whether it's sport or or life um and yeah i hope all of you listening today were able to take a nugget or two for yourself and we will see you next episode thanks bye